This is Teresa Clark with Africa.com, and today we have the opportunity to sit down with Injudeka Henry, who is with Youth for Technology. Um, Injudeka, how are you today? Doing well. How are you, Teresa? I'm fantastic. So can you tell us a little bit about what Youth for Technology does and what your footprint looks like in Africa? Sure, sure. So, so Youth for Technology Foundation is an international nonprofit. I am affiliated with the organization as, as the founder and as a board member. And we started our work in 2000 at a time where there was very little conversation around diversity in technology, right? So the mission of Youth for Technology Foundation is really to create enriched learning communities where the appropriate use of technology affords opportunities for youth and for women. So we focus primarily on helping youth and women gain the adequate technology skills to move into great jobs and, and great education. And so we fundamentally believe that access to technology should be a basic human right. Um, it should be available, accessible, and affordable to, in essence, everyone on the planet. And in so doing, we are empowering the next generation of leaders to enter the workforce with, with skills that they need to access these employment um, opportunities or to create entrepreneurial opportunities in the fourth industrial revolution. We've worked and so on- So what, what type of, um, when you say technology skills, what do you find are the most important skills in technology that make someone who's not employable become employable? You know, that's a great question. It, it really be begins with, you know, basic digital literacy, right? We are at the advent here of the fourth industrial revolution and many people like to think, okay, well, maybe I should jump right into robotics or artificial intelligence or what have you. But the reality is that there is still, you know, a large percent of the, the the world that is not even connected, um, not to talk of, you know, being equipped with those fourth industrial revolution skills. So we start with basic digital literacy, right? And then move on to, uh, you know, mobile and software application development, and then moving on to, you know, some of the more, what we call emerging and disruptive technologies. So I think along that gamut of technologies, you know, being able to equip um, people with these skills for the future of work, a future that we are not absolutely sure um, what that will look like is essential and it, it's imperative in the work that we do. And so how do you measure your success? You know, anything without data, right? It's just an opinion. And so we are a very impact-driven organization. Um, you know, having founded the organization 19 years ago, um, you know, I remember having conversations with private sector leaders, especially in, in Nigeria, where we first started our programming to the effect of why technology, why young people and women, who cares? You know, we have more, um, more pressing issues like education and health or what have you. But fast forward a decade and a half, everything revolves around technology, right? And we are at the forefront of that work, not just having having implemented um, impactful programs, but having measured results, right? So when we look at over the course of 19 years, having inspired and developed over 11,000 women-owned um, businesses, trained over you know, 1.6 million young, young people and women, and then increased economic capacity in over 3,000 communities 
in Nigeria, Kenya, Uganda, Colombia, and of course the US where we work. Um, we look at YTF Academy's graduates, um, where 55% of them have pursued STEM-related education and or careers. And so looking at these numbers helps us to understand that the, you know, our programmatic approach is not just top level, but it actually drills down into after these young people receive the training, what do they do with the training and how does that enhance their lives overall? I mean, do you look at, for example, do you have a control group to say, this is how much these people might earn, or this is how many people might remain unemployed, but for having gone into our program, we've been able to move the needle in this kind of a way? Yes, we, we do. We work with a, you know, a handful um, of, of private sector companies um, across the, the, our footprint in Africa. And we found that you know, with YTF Academy um, students, they, are, they have a high job placement rate, right? Our, our students secure employment paying on average three times more in salaries, um, or, or they get paid on average three times more in salaries than non-YTF Academy graduates. So it's not just looking at what, the, what skills they acquired, but what they do with these skills and how they are able to translate that into economic viability in their communities for themselves and for others. So um, how has COVID-19 impacted the education systems in Africa, especially for those that are vulnerable or marginalized? Well, you know, I, none of us really, um, you know, anticipated COVID-19, whether it's, you know, government, private sector, civil society, or what have you. But, but in terms of civil society, particularly in Youth for Technology Foundation's work, you know, COVID-19 has really forced a, what I will term, uh, you know, a, a I guess a, a coparian shift in education, right? So institutions are no longer the center of the universe, but learners are. And for a very long time, we spoke about education systems, particularly in Africa, being obsolete, not just broken. Well, COVID has, has made them even more obsolete. So many children, you know, um, have received really no formal education after schools closed, you know, in the continent um, in March of, of 2020. And, you know, Human Rights Watch actually um, conducted uh, some research between April and August of 2020 across 57 different countries in Africa. And it showed that their research showed that school closures caused um, by the pandemic exacerbated previously existing inequalities. And that children that were already most at, at risk of, of being excluded um, from this, you know, from a quality education have been most affected. So I think, you know, for, for us at Youth for Technology, I mean, COVID-19 has definitely um, impacted our work, but we have been able to pivot and pivot um, partnering with key stakeholders, um, administrators in educational institutions and, and teachers to be able to ensure that, um, you know, the lockdown is, is, doesn't just demonstrate that learning was a place, but it demonstrates that learning is an activity and it can indeed happen anywhere. Well, I can see the passion you have for the work that you do. That's fantastic. Um, can you talk about, um, basically, according to UNESCO, about a, one and a half billion students and over 60 million teachers are home. How does that... Um, what is your focus to help these teachers and these students recover from the pandemic? Yeah, so it's really, it's really a, um, it's really about about the journey, right? And so one of my, you know, favorite quotes is is the futurist Alvin Toffler, who talks about what illiteracy, um, you know, will will look like in the twenty first century. It's not about 
you know, um, you know, numeric literacy necessarily, um, but whether or not you can read or write necessarily, but it's really the ability to learn and learn and relearn. And we've seen this in a lot of um, the teachers that Youth for Technology Foundation has been working with within our network. You know, absolutely without doubt, there, there's been a lot of um, future loss of income as we look at students um, in terms of, you know, what, what, uh, what types of economic losses that they will incur as a result of, of COVID-19. But we have been helping teachers um, really change their mindset to understand that they are, you know, not not they are no longer the sage on the stage, but uh, really they're, you know, really the guide on the side through these digital interactions with with their students. But that students must take their own responsibility for their own learning. So in June we launched um, locked down but not locked out, which is a series of educational webinars for teachers and school administrators that. Um, is really designed to help enhance learning during the lockdown period and then to help inspire teachers, right? Um, so that they know how to best transfer um, this knowledge, um, looking at education really at, as the center of wisdom as opposed to, um, you, you know, just, uh, you know, where, where the learning itself takes place. And so with COVID-19, you know, people are realizing that the core is, is it's about having, having a great teacher, right? And supporting that teacher. And that one teacher um, is, not, is not going to scale necessarily from you know, one to 50 million overnight, uh, but that we can work with them to grow, grow their capacity and, and enhance their personal development for teaching during such a precarious time. And we can do that with technology as, as a game changer. How does um, your organization fund itself? So we uh, have a, a diverse network of, you know, funding um, from the private sector um, to foundations, uh, to individual contributions, of course. And we, we really see all these stakeholders as a core part of really our philosophy and our work, right? We don't develop curriculum without the private sector, for instance, in our classrooms and without the private sector co-creating and designing the curriculum for us. So when you talk about the future of work and when you talk about, um, you know, jobs in the future of work, we can't, um, we, we, we feel like we cannot um, know what types of curriculum to develop without having the private sector fully involved. And so we, you know, the private sector is not just a donor, but also a co-creator of curriculum and content working alongside the organization. So this diverse approach to funding is one that um, we are very, very passionate about. It's one that, um, you know, we communicate uh, the importance of systems change throughout the, the process and the importance of, you know, impact-driven programming, where we're, we're drilling down into monitoring and evaluation and understanding the extent and the changes to which the training that we provided um, really changes, changes the beneficiaries' lives for good. And how has the pandemic impacted your funding? 
So like many other organizations, you know, no one expected COVID-19. We've, we've uh, been able to successfully pivot. Most of our programming is now online. But what we have seen is a general consensus from funders and partners. Um, no one necessarily wants to move forward very quickly in terms of, you know, whether signing MOUs or developing new partnerships. It almost seems like January of 2021 is kind of the new peg where, you know, funders and private sector partners kind of want to see what happens to the rest of 2020. Um, so, you know, funding, the funding dynamics have changed um, to some degree, but also it has afforded an opportunity to really um, support organizations like YTF that are, are forward thinking and are innovative in this space um, in, in terms of really um, using the pandemic um, to, to further develop programming, using the pandemic to really think about, you know, the silver lining that the pandemic um, has provided and to be able to build on that silver lining. And so, so for instance, you know, with, with the pandemic, you know, this whole concept about, you know, expensive education, for instance, um, has now been exposed to some degree where parents are now uh, more in touch with their children's education and they're seeing the benefits now of, of online learning um, as opposed to kind of the four walls of the classroom. And so some of this education that we're able to provide to the teachers who then provide that to the parents and, and the students is is um, you know something that has has never really happened, and so we're seeing that our funders and our partners are more interested in learning about how we are doing this work and how we are um, really preparing to you know to, to return to some sort of not normalcy after COVID nineteen, if there's any such thing. Can you tell us a story about uh, you know someone who's come through your program just to kind of put a human face on what this looks like? Tell us a success story. For, you know, having done this work for, for so long and having these, uh, this lived experience doing this work, I mean, we have, you know, there are dozens and dozens of, of stories that, um, that I can point to, um, you know, from, you know, young students coming through our doors, a, a young woman, for, for instance, came through YTF Academy. Um, about three years ago. And when she came through YTF Academy, she, she really had never um, been exposed to science, technology, engineering, and math. Indeed, she thought that women could not be engineers. Um, so I remember, you know, having a conversation with her and in a country like Kenya, where only, you know, 6% of the labor force um, are engineers that are women, women engineers, you know, she, she actually Google searched, you know, can women be engineers? Um, because she, she just wasn't sure. Well, fast forward um, four years from, from then, three, four years from then, she's now, you know, in the university studying mechanical engineering and, you know, she's top of her class and she's often um, sought out as, you know, a mentor for, for younger women and younger girls and, and speakers in, in um, different, different areas around women in technology. So she's, she's just one of very many, many examples. Um, you know, our focus um, over the last couple of years has been around um, creating a space that makes it safe for girls to pursue whatever they want, right? Whether it's, it's a field in technology or not. We um, ensure that we're working with them to educate them as best possible that they can, they can be whatever they want. And if that involves technology and if that involves math and engineering and science, that is possible. And so we empower them to do just that.
Well, let me ask you this question, Anjika. It's, it's, the listeners are hearing about this great organization. What would you want someone hearing this podcast to do? What is your call to action? How can we all support this important work that you're doing? So, you know, there, there are, there's, there's a quote that is one of my favorite, you know, there are decades where nothing happens and then there are weeks where decades happen, right? And for the last seven months um, in the world, it, it seems like we, we've experienced just that. Um, what we've also seen um, as a result of COVID-19 is that we've gone into uh, a concept called hyper-solutionism, right? Where there are all these education technology, whether it's applications or solutions that are being proposed out of Silicon Valley and otherwise, and, and you know, they're being proposed as, you know, the, the um, crystal ball into connecting students with teachers during this lockdown period. Um, I would just encourage really listeners of, of the podcast to be, um, you know, just very um, open-minded regarding, you know, there's a lot of noise in the market, especially with ed tech nonprofits and, and for profits. And, you know, just to really think about organizations that have a lived experience working in these communities, right? With their clients at the center of solutions. And an organization like Youth for Technology Foundation, we, we don't go into a room and, and you know, create solutions by ourselves. We actually work with our clients who have the best information in terms of the lived experiences and the challenges that they face to develop solutions with them that work for them. So we involve our clients, young people and women, as part of our product development approach, right? Because we cannot come up with solutions without these individuals at the center of those solutions. They fundamentally know what they need. One of our teachers in, in our teacher network in Kenya, um, you know, in, in conversation a couple of weeks ago, shared with me that, you know, pre-COVID, they were telling students not to bring their phones to school. But now with COVID, they're telling their students the school is on the phone, right? And so it is a change in, you know, in this overall system and the way the students are learning. And as we develop solutions, we need to, we need to know this. And we need to know this from the people that are most impacted by the problem that we are trying to solve. Well, very interesting way of thinking about these critical issues well, well, let me ask you as we start to wrap up here, is there anything else that you would want the listening audience uh, to know about, about this organization? Uh, absolutely. You know, we've, uh, like I said, we've, we've done this work for 19 years. Um, we have the lived experiences in the space. Um, you know, 19 years ago, I was being asked the question, why technology? Why young people? Um, who cares about technology and who cares about young people? Um, you know, in a few years here, you know, Africa will have the largest global workforce, surpassing even India and China. Um, as Africa's workforce is projected to, to be, you know, by 2040, to be about 1 billion. So it'll be the largest in the world. 10 million young people will be entering the labor force every year with youth making up a, a large proportion of this. And so we must continue to make a renewed commitment um, to invest really in young people. And it's important that as, as these young people learn digital technologies, as the world really moves towards this digital economy, um, you know, it, it's really important that we, we help them 
um, not just teach them how to use and develop these digital technologies, but we teach them how to participate fully in, in this digital world. And so, um, you know, organizations like Youth for Technology, our work is not done until the issue is, is eliminated, right? Until we have young people graduating from universities and developing economies that are getting jobs, until we have the education sector aligned with the private sector so that people um, know that their education is going to provide a livelihood for them. And so, you know, would, would just continue to, to love that, you know, to, to request that support of the private sector, of the public sector, and of other, other civil societies, because not, no one of us can do this alone. So the more we come together, the more we share information, the more we collaborate for good, um, keeping systems change in mind, the more successful the world will be as a whole. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm here with Njidika Henry, whose work I've followed for many years. I've had the pleasure of seeing you at the World Economic Forum in various uh, convenings. Um, I saw you in Davos earlier this year. Uh, you represent your organization and its important impact um, very well and in many places of great influence. And I hope that we can um, and those who are listening today can uh, learn more about what you are doing and find ways to support your vision, which was you know, quite, as you've said, um, visionary um, when you started the organization nearly 20 years ago. And today, I think the importance of that work is evident to anyone. And so we wish you the very best as you continue down this path. I wish you to go from success to success. And I know that there are many different factors that come together in order for you to um, continue to achieve that success from the public sector, from the private sector. Um, and so anyone who's listening, please know that this is a wonderful organization and we uh, look forward to hearing about your continued impact. Thank you, Theresa. It was a pleasure connecting with you today and um, wishing you the best. And I hope we can go into the world and continue to play our part in, in making it a better place.